0: Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Um, I like to mix it up on these podcasts and bring in different people from different walks of life. We've had uh, minor league players on the podcast before who I think offer a really great perspective. We've got another one on the podcast today. We're being joined today by Zach Jarrett, who's currently a minor league outfielder in the Baltimore Orioles system. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Zach before we jump into questions with him. Just let you get to know him a little bit better. He's originally from Hickory, North Carolina. He played collegiately at UNC Charlotte. He played there all four years. He was drafted in 2017 in the 28th round. 2018, which was his first full season of minor league baseball, he hit .277. Uh, hit 14 homers, drove in 72 guys. He was a mid-season all-star and a postseason all-star that year in 2018. Had a great performance again in 2019, was playing well enough in high A. In his first year in high age, he got promoted to A for the final 26 games of the season as a 24-year-old. Again, he was a mid-season and post-season All-Star in 2019. Then, obviously, 2020 came. Uh, there was no minor league baseball in 2020, so 2020 was, was kind of a lost year for a lot of guys, including Zach, which is one of the things I'm sure we'll get into. And then uh, 2021 is still up in the air minor league. As of today, the minor league camps have not started yet, so Zach's not sure exactly where he's going to start, but he's been training uh, training hard right now in Florida and ready to make a good impression once they do start camp. Zach, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Oh yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be on here.
0: So I typically, Zach, like to start with something from somebody's bio, people's bio that stands out. And And for you, I actually want to start with something I didn't mention there, but just something that I got from Uh, Bo Robinson, who is your former hitting coach in college, Bo someone that we've had on the podcast before. I think he's an outstanding hitting coach. He was an excellent, really really good college player, had a nice uh, pro career minor league, uh, had put some really good numbers into minor leagues. When I first reached out to you about bringing you on the podcast, Bo actually sent me a message on the side and and was just kind of raving about you and saying what a great guest you'd be, what a great perspective you brought. And a quote that he gave me was just, um, I mean, it wasn't a quote. It was just like him trying to kind of describe who you are as a person before I went on the podcast with you. He said, Jeff, Zach's a blue-collar kid. He's worked for everything he's gotten. He turned himself uh, from a walk-on in college to be a draft pick. Uh, And I just thought that was pretty significant, just all all the work that you've done, and that coming from your former college hitting coach just kind of raving about your work ethic. Um, You know, coming out of high school, Zach, going into Charlotte, How much uh, Can we talk about just what kind of offers you were getting, the kind of attention you were getting, and exactly maybe who you were going into college compared to who you were when you left, to leave that impression on Coach Robinson?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, to to hear uh, Bo Rob say that, you know, it it means a lot to me because we were able to grow such a great uh, relationship and carry that on to this time. Um, But, yeah, I mean, honestly, in high school – you know, I think I sort of looked the part a little more than I played the part consistently. Um, you know, I, I sort of figured out whenever I was in eighth grade, ninth grade that that's sort of what I wanted to do, and I wanted to sort of train at baseball and see how far and how long I could play. Um, but it, I mean, it, I just I was naturally gifted in an athletic way, but. I knew and I figured out at a young age that I had to be in the cage while I had to keep working. I had to try and do it that way compared to some of these guys that just, you know, just go out there and show it and they're just raw. Um, so yeah, once I figured that out, I knew that, you know, it was going to be daily hours, you know, two or three hours a day that I'm having to put in the cage and do work like that. But, you know, I wasn't overly heavily recruited by division one schools, uh, I think it came down to the final two offers that I was really looking at was between Gardner Webb and Charlotte. Um, but I went on my visit to Charlotte and met Coach Lauren Hibbs and Bo Rob and Chris Rochelle and Brandon Hall. And, you know, whenever I went on my visit with my parents, I, I wasn't really I wasn't really sure what to think about it. You know, it was, it was all new. You're not really used to that stuff. But I went and, you know, they just made me feel like I was at home. And they made me feel like I was wanted. And, honestly, they they didn't have to do much else. You know, I, I, being a walk-on was just following me. I just wanted to go play baseball. And, you know, that sort of has been my attitude toward it all. I just want to play. You know, it, it, everything else will come after as long as I keep my head down and keep playing. Um, so once I got there, it was it was – I grew into not only a better baseball player but a better person of just learning from each and every one of the coaches. And, I mean, even then I had – I guess Coach Hibbs and Bo were the two that stayed the same all the way through, but we had Coach Doty that came in as a pitching coach. Obviously, I said Coach Hall was there, and then Tyler Simmons uh, came in, I think, uh, my senior year, right before my senior year, and so we got to have a lot of different people and personalities around there, and I was able to learn a lot um, baseball-wise and also um, life-wise from all of them, but... You know, going from when I was in high school to coming out of college, the program that they ran uh, was strength and conditioning to practices, you know, and just being able to get in there and grind as much as we wanted to. And it was, it was really on you. How how good did you want to be? And Because um, they were there for all of it. You know, they were, they were there for the extra work. Bo-Rob was there to flip to you, throw to you, feed the machine, whatever it may be. Talk to you about your approach, and you know you're you, were, you were going to be as good as you wanted to be, and they were going to support that, and they gave us every opportunity for that.
0: I love. I, I know most of the guys that um, were with you at Charlotte, and and such a great group. Even though it's changed over time, most of the guys there have changed over time, all except Coach Robinson. Uh, but such a great group of guys that you had to work with there. Um, let's talk about just a little bit about Coach Robinson and about what he's uh, meant to you on the hitting side of things. Can we just talk about just the philosophy, the offensive philosophy at Charlotte when you were there? Uh, and you told me before we started recording that you, in a, in a typical offseason, which this was not a typical offseason, but in a typical offseason, you would still go and hit with Coach Robinson um, as, as kind of your warm-up, uh, what, you know, what you did to train before you went to minor league camp. Like, he's the guy you're hitting with in the offseason still. So can we talk about just the offensive philosophy, just what you learned as a, as an offensive player and as a hitter? You know, what worked for you that Coach Robinson was doing at Charlotte? Yeah, you know, going in, we sort of
1: they had, had teams before us that were sort of smaller, and, you know, they were hit the ball on the ground, run, and do all that. But obviously – live from ground up you know hit hard ground balls and then they're gonna turn into live drives in the game and whatnot and so we were sort of a our class were a little more bigger guys i guess you could say and um that was just what we were told at that moment and so you know obviously you get up there and you want to start hitting home runs or think you can at least um but our approach was you know first round of bp we're gonna live the other way even if it's in front toss we're gonna go five the other way and you know that was just that was really engraved into our minds and our um, and our approaches. You know, it, it was it was let's work on our two strike approach and making sure we're staying on the ball. And then as we learn that, we can further go into okay, now we're going to drive the ball gap to gap. And I think um, I think that helped me out a lot
0: because it sort of it sort of gave a simpler approach in the beginning
1: where you're not trying to do too much which all of us can get into and we can all try and start trying to go over the fence or trying to do too much pull our head off and that just gets us in bad habits and early on um, I did struggle at times I struggled with all speed and uh, early on in my college career and you know it was, it was extremely frustrating I could hit fastball easily but obviously once you prove you can do that then you're not going to get many fastballs and so it was a point to me that I had to keep working on of, you know, if I do work the other way, if I do implement that into my routine daily and just keep doing it and keep doing it and work on a curveball machine or whatever it may be, that that's going to work itself out, you know, and, and another thing that was huge in our program and what Coach Hibbs and Bo preached was approach, you know, having a plan whenever you go up there, which I think is huge, you know, I, I I think I helped a couple of my buddies this past year that I played with their Charlotte, coach, 11-year-old and 13-year-old, and it's like I, we were trying to simplify the game down for them, and I was thinking to myself, you know, like, it, it's really – you don't really have to make baseball that hard. It's already hard enough. We shouldn't have to try and make it harder. So if we just try and keep a simple approach and look for a pitch or look for a location, whatever that may be, as long as we stick to that, then we should be okay with the result. You know, it's being convicted, and that was something that Bo preached to us a lot. Was we go over our we get our pregame routine of okay, who are we facing today? What's he have? All this and that, but it doesn't really matter what he has, as long as you have a plan and you stick to it. Then you should. Then you have worked your butt off enough in the cage and inner squad, whatever it may be, to where you're going to see success. Um, so I think I think the whole point of having the simplicity of all right, let's work on the ground the other way in BP and then start letting it fly and work on low line drives and then having a simple approach in the game. I think that was just a really good recipe for success
0: for a lot of our guys. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Having an approach, having a plan at the plate, keeping it simple. You know, not getting uh, too too in depth with that, or not getting too. Complex with that. What's your approach? I mean, typically now, let's talk, let's kind of jump forward now. Just as a pro player, you've had quite a bit of success in the minor leagues. Talk about approach a little bit. Like, let's just, instead of just using that term, because I, that's something that I, grew to learn between you know playing in college and coaching in college how important it was to have an approach sometimes i think you use uh we all use terms like that and just to some people they probably have heard that but maybe don't know exactly what it means so can you walk us through just maybe um a typical bat or a game and, and tell us exactly what it means to have an approach like what's an approach that you would have against you know a stock right-handed stock left-handed pitcher i guess
1: yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, first at bats, I'm just I'm going to sit fastball. You know, it's something that I've just always been more comfortable hitting, I guess, and I think most hitters will tell you that. There I mean, there's not many that are going to sit here and say, "Oh, I love sitting on curveball" because, you know, some of these sliders and curveballs that these guys are throwing now are just ridiculous. But um but yeah, so I, I typically just try and sit fastball, you know, look if I'm feeling really good, then I'll sit on location. If not, then, you know, I'll try and just sit speed and uh, sit fastball. But I think as the game goes on, I've learned more and talked more to hitting coaches. And like Bo Rob. I learned through my hitting career at Charlotte is in certain situations, you can look for certain pitches. So say my first at bat, I hit a double off of fastball. So, my next hit bat, I come up, bases, say there's runners in scoring position, say second and third, one out. Um, You know, I I could go up looking breaking ball, because one, I already hit his fastball, I've already proven that, so the same pitcher's still in the game, and two, there's runners in scoring position, so he doesn't want to give me that. So, it can honestly be a process of elimination, and it's a game within the game um, for me, but it can be hard because I struggled. I struggled early on with being extremely convicted and like saying, "Okay, I'm gonna do this and sit this pitch, this at bat." But then, say I go up there and I'm sitting breaking ball, but he throws me a fastball. I had trouble with saying with saying to myself, "Oh man, he threw me a fastball. Okay, so now I got to switch." And so then I became in between. And so then I switched to a fastball, and next thing you know, he throws me a hanging breaking ball, which I was sitting on in the first place, and now I'm 0-2, and I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> you know, it, it just sort of it sort of got in my mind, and that was sort of a bad way, a bad example of mentally having approach. Um, but to that point, that was just me having to say, okay, I'm going to sit one pitch this hole at bat. And once I learned to do that, then I could sort of configure and go about different ways and different at-bats um, each time. But I think it's huge because you're not going to find too many people that are able to get in the box and just, you know, see ball, hit ball. I mean, you're going to – obviously, if you get on a hot streak, that, that's what it feels like. You don't have to tell, you, tell yourself what pitch you're going to look at. You just go up there and say, okay, I'm going to see the ball up and, you know, I'm swing. And there, there are definitely times like that. I'm not going to say if there's not, but um, I think more success comes when I go up there with a plan and approach of how I'm going to attack the at-bat. Because, you know, the pitcher and catcher have the same uh, way of thinking. They're they're talking in the dugout before of, okay, we got the four, five, six hitters up. They did this, this, and this. This is how we're going to throw to them. You know, so it, it's, it, it's a competition each time. It, it's head-to-head, and uh, you're sort of trying to play a little chess match with them, which is what Bo always told us. And you know, you, you sort of got to you got to be able to go up there and uh, be okay with uh, what
0: you come up with. At any point, Zach, do you ever feel like by by doing that that if you do that too much that you take your maybe your strengths away from you? So, for example, you're a fastball hitter. Do you ever have at bats where you were maybe looking breaking ball because of past results, and you got some good fastballs to hit one or two during the at bat, and maybe you weren't ready for it, maybe fouled it off, maybe took it, whatever. And then after the at bat, you just, did you ever? I mean, go back to the dugout and think like, man, I'm I'm a fastball hitter, and I just let fastballs go by. Like I just need to stick with who I am. Is that any part of the conversation you have with yourself, or hitting coaches have with you at times? Is is it you know maybe getting away from what your strengths are to try to. Like outfox the pitcher, if that's a fair way to say it.
1: Oh, definitely. I think that is one of the many conversations that will go through my head after a situation like that. You know, I think that just speaks to the whole thing of like convincing yourself of what you're going up there planning to do. Because there have been way too many times that, like you said, I've foxed myself and you know tried to outthink the pitcher or tried to think too much into it instead of just you know. Being convicted in it, um, but at the end of the day, I think it, I think it comes down to you know all, all of this is is pretty much up until two strikes. You know, like I'm, I'm gonna look that pitch up until two strikes. So if I'm okay with sitting breaking ball with the runner on third and he throws me two heaters, okay, well now I got a battle. You know, now now I'm looking fastball away and going to adjust to all speed and I'm just gonna choke up and you know, put the ball in play to get this run in. So, so early on, it's more or less trying to, it's, it's having a bat for yourself, but then it turns into having a team at bat. Um, but yeah, it it can be difficult um, because obviously, I mean, you know, this is such a mental sport more than anything. Um, You just got to be okay with doing that and know that if you're getting 500, 600 bats, 200 bats like you do in college then there's going to be times where you outfox yourself or you just overthink it and you're just like well you know it is what it is but I think going away from my strengths you know I like to think that I've gotten myself in a position to where I can hit any pitch that's there now um to where I've sort of fine-tuned that and am able to have a swing and have an approach to where I can sit on curveball and hit it Um, But yeah, it it is hard to see fastballs go by because you know that's that's what you love to hit and that's what a lot of guys uh, love to sit on.
0: I'm sure a lot of it too depends on what the pitcher's strengths are. If the pitcher you know is a mid-upper nineties guy who who wants to throw a four-seamer fast past you, and that's his. You know that's his best pitch. He's probably you know chances are he's still going to try to get you out with that at some point. Or if it's a guy that's got a wipeout slider or whatever, a wipeout changeup. If it's a you know a left on right situation, then obviously I'm sure that plays into it too. I was kind of surprised to hear Zach that a big guy like you, um, with a you you have a you take a two strike approach even now as you know you're working your way through the upper minor leagues, you still take a two strike approach where you'll choke up. And, and look fastball away and adjust off-speed, adjust fastball in, which is, I mean, it's a the basis of a lot of teams, a lot of college teams' two-strike approaches, and that's that was kind of yeah. the basis of two-strike approach that I taught in college. Um, I'm kind of surprised to hear that a bigger guy like you still takes that approach. Yeah, you
1: know, uh, that is, that's the approach that we had in college, and, you know, it's just something that's stuck with me, and, you know, I've... Bo always told me, like, we always had a conversation. He's like, just from looking back at stuff, and he would tell me, man, some of the hardest balls I hit were at two strikes and having this approach. And he's like, it'll be the same for you. And looking back on it now, it's like, there have been some balls that I've hit with two strikes that I've hit way better than in a 2 0 count, you know? And I think it's just something that I've felt comfortable with. You know, I, I've I've messed around with a couple of different approaches on two strikes. You know, I've sat pitches with two strikes. And it's like you said, it depends what the pitcher has. I think we are way more advanced now with, you know, knowing what the pitcher has. And, I mean, we even get pitching reports now before the games or even in-game of, you know, where does the heat map of where the pitcher misses most with this pitch or the percentage of how much he throws this um, pitch during the year. And so we have access to that, which, you know, can be a good thing because then you can sort of, okay, if he is out of the zone with his breaking ball, you know, 60% of the time, then are we really going to worry about that pitch? You know, we shouldn't worry about it too much because we should worry about the other two pitches that he has in the zone and we can go off that. So it's good in that aspect, but it can also be – I'm not gonna say bad but it can sort of hurt you because a person like me who will think a lot and sort of go deep into it will look at all those numbers and all that stuff and then try and overanalyze and overthink and then all of a sudden i'll be in the box thinking too much while he's in his windup, and next thing you know i'm walking back to the dugout or i just broke my bat you know and and so i think trying to keep it as simple as possible and trying to stick to stuff that I know and trusting myself and trusting my hands in those two-strike situations, you know, I think it's just based off past success that I continue to do that and, um, you know, I just just something that's stuck with me uh, ever since college.
0: I think it's important for young hitters to hear this kind of stuff because you're also, I mean, you're a guy that's going to hit for power that's, and that's kind mm-hmm. of your game. Uh, that's probably one of the main tools that's going to get you to the big leagues and, and you still are willing to adjust to that. Uh, has what does the organization say about if anything, Zach, about your two-strike approach? Because I know that you know from the outside looking in in Major League Baseball, like people don't care much about strikeouts anymore, especially at the you know the Major League level. It's it's much more about extra base hits. Um, you know, slugging percentage. Strikeouts don't really matter, and that's kind of that's that's not. Uh, that's probably the opposite—not opposite, but it's—it's it's a conflicting approach with the two strike approach that you take. Has anybody in the organization ever said anything to you about that, or said like, "Hey, man, that's not what we're paying you for." Like, if you're going to make money, you're going to make money by hitting, you know, 25, 30 homers in the big leagues. anybody ever co- have a conversation with it, with you about that, or are they good with what you do?
1: Yeah, no, so I mean, we've, I guess, last spring training, and I guess the last one we had was. Last year and, you know, leading up to it, we were, I was there for a month before we got sent home and we had a lot of conversations about it. And yeah, the home runs are going up, strikeouts are going up. So you have a lot of that big swing mentality and whatnot. But, you know, me personally, I'm not okay with strikeouts. You know, it's, it's something that has been a part of my game because I guess the power, but it also has come with my pitch selection. So that's on me. But, you know, it is something that I have worked on and refined, and I've cut down my strikeout numbers each year, which has been great. A goal of mine each year that I keep playing. But you know, with everyone that we had new that came into the Orioles organization, with like coaches and front office and whatever it may be, you know, we want to take our chances of being able to put the ball in play. You don't, you don't want to strike out. You want to have a good eye and everything, and you want to be able to. Do damage to pitches in the zone, and so it's been—it's been a real emphasis on knowing the zone and not really going out and chasing. Um, which is good because it's refining our eye and making sure that we are really locked in for each of that and each pitch. And it's sort of training us each day to be able to um, know where the zone at, know where the zone is at, um, and what we should be swinging at and whatnot. But I mean, in terms of My two-strike approach we haven't spoken specifically on that you know uh a lot of it is i don't think we have a certain basis of what your two-strike approach should be you know everybody has such a different has their own idea of what their approach is going to be or what they're going to do you know and i think i talked about this a little earlier was you know some people can sit location you know that that has been something that i've struggled with personally um, to sit location I and mean, I did it for probably a full month in low A in 2018, and I was sitting in a lot inside. But what it got me to do was fly open early, and I was expecting in. So then all of a sudden I was taken away from the outside, and it just it just was something that I was trying. You know, it was something to see if I could do or if I felt comfortable doing. It, and I think that's a huge part of this game, especially at a young age is seeing what's comfortable for you, seeing what works for you because hitting is so different for everybody. Everybody has a different setup. Everybody has different clicks. They have different sayings that mean different things to them, you know? And so it's it's hard to put or put a single term or single phrase in somebody's head about how they're going to hit. And I think that's that's a big part about baseball is just being able to have that communication between coach and player. Um you know, to see, to to know what the player's feeling, to know what the coach is seeing and go off that to see if they can sort of come together on something.
0: Would you consider yourself a guess hitter? Hmm. I would
1: consider myself an educated guess
0: hitter. <laughs> yeah, More I, now.
1: I, I feel like I used to be a guess hitter, um, but now I think I'm too convinced too convicted in my plan, more so than not, to just say that I'm guessing. You know, I, I like to think that I have I have a rhyme or reason of why I'm sitting pitches or why I think I might do this, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do just guess, and you have to guess right. I heard that, I, I don't know, it was a couple years back, and I think we were talking about, I think I was talking with a bunch of my buddies, talking about Dustin Pedroia, and I think he came out and said something about Guess or some some came out about guessing, hitting is like guessing, and I'm like, you know, I, I can see that, but it, it's just hard because, you know, sometimes it's just reaction. Sometimes you just see it and you swing and you make you get the barrel to it, you know. So there are people reactionary hitters. I I think there are a lot of reactionary hitters too, if that if that was to be labeled a thing.
0: Guessing is such a. It's a difficult thing because when you guess wrong, you look terrible and you, you know, feel pretty terrible about it. But there's a different level to it when you um, you you prepare for as many things as possible going into the bat, more or less. I mean, like you do a practice, basically, so that you're not caught off guard by by different things. I mean, the more things that you, the more scenarios you run through your mind, and the more. Um, more things you can be prepared for the less off guard you're you're caught or the, the less surprised you'll be that's just, and that's that was just the thing that we used to do at practice and we talk about as as a college staff at practices we've got a we want to kind of hit everything we want to put guys through as many game situations as possible that way when the game situation comes they're ready they're they're not um it's not something they haven't seen before and i don't know if that's the same you know i was never i, I was never any sort of a hitter just like you are uh to your level but um I would, I would assume that that's the same type of thing if you're prepared and, and you, um, as opposed to sitting on something necessarily, if you're kind of ready for, like like you're, you're ready for one pitch, but you're also ready to react to something different. I don't know if that's a fair way to put it or not.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's, I think, what I think about whenever you're talking about that is just, like, those live game reps. Like, that was the biggest part for me, like, coming through college was inter-squads. Like inner squads can be terrible at times because you just practice three and a half hours or three hours and now you have to go through an inner squad And you, then you get into six weeks of it and you're facing the same dudes. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, this is only getting you ready for a game because you're playing a game, one, you're going to have a lot of situations where you're going to have those same situations against another team. And that was getting as many at-bats as I could going into the year and even to this point now is huge because, you know, that's going to give you the, that's going to give you those times to be able to, you know, test new things out, test new, um, test your approach out, see, okay, like I was talking about earlier, runners in scoring position, if you sit breaking ball, it, it just gives you opportunities to try new things out and, you know, see, see what you got and. You know, there's no no better way to um, sort of build confidence or build an inventory worth of stuff than going through stuff that might be harder than the game or just as hard as the game. It's like you said. I mean, being able to practice at such a high level, you're not going to be surprised by anything once the competition comes.
0: So after I moved back to Pennsylvania, where I am now, I... And this, this is this is apples to oranges for sure. Uh, but I played in an adult league for a couple years, and I hadn't seen live pitching in you know in a long, long time, and uh, in a lot of years. And, and basically, to prepare for the season, I didn't really have anywhere to hit. So like, I'm hitting off of a tee. I'm like, uh, I'm hitting a little bit of front toss. Still wasn't hitting anything overhand. And then you get in a game and try to time things up. And like, it, it, my team occasionally would practice, and there you're hitting off, you're hitting BP off of a teammate. And uh, and I was talking to one of the guys that I played with there for a couple of years, and just said to him, he still plays. I, I haven't played for; it's been several years since I played there. And he said, "Do you ever get the itch to go back?" And I was like, "Man, I do. You know, I don't know if I'd have time to do it." But I said, "If I, I think if I could hit off one of the machines they have now." And I, I mean, I had that, I had these back in the days. Well, At Winthrop, we had an awesome machine that. Uh, That would randomize pitches. Uh, Very expensive machine. I don't know how many teams had it then, but now they're a lot more affordable. But like a a machine that you could program to throw a ninety mile an hour fastball and program it to throw a right-handed slider and a right-handed curveball. That way, somebody can stand behind the machine and and just touch a button, and the hitter doesn't know what's coming next. And like I think if I could prepare off something like that, I told this guy, like I think I'd have a much better chance and and probably enjoy it more because I'd be more much more prepared. And that was wasn't something. I don't know how people. We didn't think about that more, like as college coaches, like bringing the machine out to the field. We had one of these machines that went through. You know, some of the other schools that I coached at, like we had a machine for this or for that, but never had one like that. But like now, it's like standardized for every team, and I'm sure you're doing this in the off season. You're hitting off a machine that's throwing game speed. Anytime you throw a baseball with baseball seams, even if it's coming out of a machine, like you're gonna get a little bit of a different spin or a little bit of different action to the ball to the fastballs, especially then, you know, from pitch to pitch. Uh, by the way, the ball's dropped in or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that's such an amazing tool, that, and I don't know <laughs> why it took coaches so long to kind of decide that that's something they're going to do like almost every day, make batting practice like really difficult. That yeah. way when you get in a game, you've seen that. Of course, it's coming to it's a little bit different, but you've seen that yeah. velocity, you've seen that type of stuff quite a bit, quite often.
1: Oh, definitely. I, you know, I, we started using the machine more and more through my four years at Charlotte and uh you know it, it can be a love-hate relationship uh you know a little bit but the thing that the machine that you're talking about we had we, it was a black box yes sir and oh my <laughs> I hated that thing had it was, the red no the, the
0: red yellow and green and lights got, on it.
1: yes yes oh my gosh and then would just it tore it tore my thumbs up and just owned me for at least two years but i mean machines can be difficult to get your timing off of you know like obviously you don't have a regular arm like moving or the wind up or whatever it may be but it's like you said you're you're getting put in an uncomfortable position so how are you going to respond you know so we kept doing that and kept doing that and sort of you know by the end of the year it was like okay well we're hitting off this machine like it's easy and so midweek practice, like during the fall, we would just bring out, it wouldn't be the black box, but it'd be someone feeding machine. And if we wanted to do a simulated scrimmage instead of having, if we didn't have any arms to throw, then, you know, we just
0: put the machine in and, you know, it was, it was extremely important for
1: us to get on top of the baseball and, you know like you said putting the ball in the machine if you catch it with the seams you know that thing's going to rise the RPM's going to be ridiculous on it and it may not be as realistic as a game but you're going to learn to get on top of the baseball and you're going to learn to that with a pitch like that you're not going to be able to live under the baseball at all Um, so that was I think that was a big emphasis for us whenever we were using the machine of just making sure that you know if we're trying to simulate a guy that's throwing 94, 95, we're not going to be able to live under the baseball and trying to hit the ball out because most of the time it's going to end up with us completely missing the pitch or flying
0: out. All right, so this may take up the rest of the podcast, but I, I want to talk about what you just brought up because I think these are really important points to people out there that are coaching hitters to, to young hitters that are, that have a lot of a lot of voices, a lot of voices, you know, from from the hitting instructor to the high school coach to the travel coach to what they're hearing on social media. Um, you just talked about when you guys would have machines. It was it was really important. It was a focal point to stay on top of the baseball. Is that still something that you think now? I want I want to just talk about maybe just some um, some keys to your success. Like, is staying on top of the baseball still something that you think of, still something you strive to do? Is that still a part of your offensive game, or has that changed for you?
1: No, I think it. I think it is extremely important for me, personally. Um, you know, I, I've never really been taught or... I've never really thought to get under the baseball to sort of, like, force it, you know what I'm saying, instead of something that Bo always told us, you want to cut the ball in half. You know, that's the best way to backspin it, if you cut the ball in half. And, um, you know, that's just something I've carried with me. And, you know, we can sit here, and it's like I said earlier, it's there's different sayings have different cues for people. So if I sit here and say, I want to be on top of the baseball, some people are going to take that as, oh, he wants to have hit a choppy ground ball and, like, bury it to the ground. No, not as I don't want to do that. Obviously, I do hit line drives, but it, it it's something for me that has a cue of and helps me stay inside the baseball and keeping my knob inside the baseball. And if I'm above the baseball, then you know whatever I am tested with a fastball that's 96, 97 in the upper part of the zone, I'm not going to miss it because I've trained myself to be able to get my hands above that baseball and stay on that level with it and i think it's just i think it's just something that i have learned while i was at charlotte and it, it's it sort of stuck with me and made sense to me and it was a simple sort of approach and i've never really i've never really understood or you know there, there's just different ways of thinking and, and i just that that is what has worked for me and i've tried to stick to it um And it's like I mean I still take the same rounds of BP that I took in college every day, and try and do it that way. Um, Even my routine for tea and uh, front toss and everything. But I think I think it's just something that sort of um, has been engraved in my brain and has uh, helped me to this point so
0: far. All right, we just this podcast is going to end up being about three hours long, so I hope that (laughs) you have some food there. There's like there's so much to talk about based on. I have so many questions based on what you just said in the last just couple of answers here. Um, I, I want to stick with just kind of start kind of on this topic though about um, just different cues that you use that work for you and and why those work. So you just talked about getting on top of the baseball and why that works. But let's just talk about so. So you brought up like some people would think that, that means that you want to hit a choppy ground ball, but you don't. You want to hit line drives when you're. Whether it's BP or a game, can you give me a visual of what you what you want to do, what you hope to do? When you say hit line drives, what does that mean exactly? Is there a certain part of the field that you're that you want to stay within? Are you thinking right center? Or are you thinking like gap to gap? Are you trying to hit a line drive off the outfield wall? Are you trying to hit a line drive like head high around the infield? I, I just I want to get a visual. And again, you're this is a you're. I don't know if you consider yourself this, but I'm going to consider you a power hitter. I think a guy in in single A that hits, you know, in the teens in home runs, like that's the guy that's that's got some serious juice and, and has a really ch- has a chance to develop a lot of power at the big league level. What's your approach as far as what you're trying to do with the baseball, both in BP and in the game? Yeah,
1: so I mean, I you know, in, in this game, you sort of it sort of is like everybody is close to having to be a power hitter. You know, that's just, that's just where the game is going. Um, And that that's, that's obviously hitting home runs and doubles and extra base hits is all perfectly fine with me. I'll, I'm trying to do that as much as I can. But yeah, I mean, BP, my first round, I just, I want to live away if it's a hard, like one hop to second base, that's fine with me, but you know, my ideal is right center. When I know I'm feeling good, I can work any pitch in batting practice that I want and work my hands and get inside the baseball and hit it to right center. And even in the game, if I if I can take a pitch that's on the outer third or on the black and I can drive it to right center, whether that's over the fence or a double or a line or whatever it may be, I know I'm good. I know I'm staying on the baseball. I know my hands are working in the right direction if I'm hitting the ball hard to right field in that area because you know I've I feel like I trust myself enough to this point to where you know I've always been told that the inside pitch is a reactionary pitch and I've played enough now to know that okay if I see an inside pitch I'm most likely just going to react to it you know if if I force myself to try and open my hips or open my shoulder then there's a lot of things that could go wrong instead of just you know, trusting myself to where my hands beat that baseball inside and trusting my ability to be able to do that. And that can be a little, I don't want to say controversial, but some people can be like, well, you know, you can't just, it's harder to react to 99, and yeah, it is, but, you know, it just sometimes happens. So being able to sort of work my bat and my approach to right center to begin is – perfect for me you know but in the game I try and stay up the middle of the field most all the time um, you know there's certain there's certain counts or certain situations to where I'm, I'm gonna try and let it loose I'm gonna try and pull a home run or you know really get a hold of one but just in general more times than not I I want to live through the middle of the field I want to hit as many doubles as possible as many home runs as possible but you know I've sort of as I've gotten older and played more baseball and, you know, even in this all season alone, since I've been down here in January, I've really been working on my tempo and my rhythm of just like being relaxed and knowing that I don't have to swing a hundred percent all the time. And, you know, I, I think that's something that gets lost sometimes is thinking that, you know, to be able to hit the ball far, we have to swing really hard. You know, we have to put all we can in every swing, but, at the end of the day all we have to do is really put it on the fat part of the barrel, right? We we have to see how consistent can we be of being in the biggest part of the bat and being able to drive the baseball on that part of the back as consistent as possible. And, you know, until I mean obviously that was what I thought leading up to this point, but, you know, training with this coach that I am with down here has really we just really put a stress on, okay, how slow can you be, and how fluid can you be with your hands and everything? At say fifty percent, and get that on the barrel every time, you know. And then just working your way up to seventy, eighty percent. The next thing you know, you're you're not swinging full hundred percent, but you're killing the baseball all parts of the field. So I think I think this all season has been a feel thing for me, in a sense, um, and, and I've seen. Uh, just great results in the way I've been able to hit the ball to all fields.
0: It's so amazing for me to hear a hitter like you, and to hear your thought process and what you are, you know, what you're thinking, what your approach is, all that you're, all that you're working on. Um, I want to bring up something that that gets talked about a lot, and just kind of get your reaction to it. There's a lot of talk about um, you know hitters getting on playing with the ball. Is that ever something that you think about? Is that something that you work on, or is that something that uh, that you need to stay away from for any particular reason?
1: Um, no, it's actually that's actually funny. I was just talking about this with uh, one of my teammates and the guy that I'm living with down here right now. Um, it is it is a phrase or a term that comes up so much now, and I think that is. It's one of those things that, you know, people can take it one way or they can take it another way. Um, I think of that as, you know, getting my barrel to the baseball. I don't think too much about, like, getting on plane um, because, obviously, no, no one pitch is going to be the same whenever it comes up there. I mean, there's not very many people that throw a flat forcing fastball anymore. There's there's always something that moves cutter slider two seam sinker whatever it may be. Um, I mean if that were that that's not what I tell myself. You know um, I think I can go back to what you're talking about of you know getting in game situations or whatever it may be off the machine off somebody throwing, but just being able to recognize the pitch and that's I think that is what. Getting on plane means to me most is how early can you recognize the pitch and how well can you get your barrel to it. Um, But I think it's just a little more—I don't want to say fancy because I mean it's just—it's just a different way of saying it. And it was something that wasn't said um, early on. It was just a new term that came came with a lot of the new, more advanced analytical type stuff. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, it, it, analytics has taken baseball to new levels. I and mean, we're, able, we're able to see new numbers that people didn't really know existed or I guess didn't really care to know. But, you know, that helps some people. And, and that's that's what's great about baseball is there's such a big world and there's so much information that, you know, you don't have to say, okay, I do this because of this or everybody's going to do this. You can take little – little bits of pieces of information from each little thing and refine your game to what works for you or what clicks for you. And that's why I think it's so great. So getting on plane doesn't work for me, but me thinking, okay, I recognize this pitch. How am I – I put myself in this position in BP and live ABs, off the machine, whatever it may be, to get my barrel to it. And so now, all I got to do is just recognize the pitch and trust that my hands and body are going to get in the right position. If that makes sense,
0: it does. And uh, I think that something that gets lost now, with especially with um, all the saltiness on social media, in particular, or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever you want to call it, got everything is so black or white. Like you know, if you don't agree with me, you're you're wrong, and there's no other way around that. But I believe you know. I believe what I believe. But this podcast is not about me. In your case, do you um, do you think that there are maybe two guys in the Orioles organization, you and somebody else, who have a pretty similar swing, a pretty similar approach? If you watch you and someone else on video, you look relatively the same. You have similar results, but you each think like completely opposite things. Like what the what you think cues for you. Would screw the other guy up, and vice versa. cues that he uses, that he focuses on, that are essential to his success, are going to be detrimental to you. Does that exist, or do you think that uh, that a lot of guys at your level end up thinking and and feeling a lot of the same things?
1: I think, for the most part, we end up thinking and feeling a lot of the same things. You know, um, I think now there's more, like you said, there's there's so much information now, and so many different ways of teaching it or saying stuff. You know, it's like you said on social media. There is there's so much that can be taken in, and that's whenever I say you know social media is a good and bad thing because there's so much which is awesome because it's all this information. If you're a student of the game like I am and you are, you love to hear new things. You love to hear new concepts. Do you sir? Do you have to agree with them? Do we have to agree with them? No, because nobody says you have to agree with everything and that shouldn't be the way it is. You have, you have whatever's going to work for you, but also having too much information can just overflow and have people going back and forth and thinking, Oh, well, this is a new thing. So obviously I need to get on top of this and that, that can just be a difficult thing of where, you know, it can put, it can put people in bad positions, but for the most part, you know, I think I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of different guys that I've played with, whether it's in this organization or guys that I've met just throughout playing all these years. There are there are guys that, you know, sort of look toward the new ideas and the new terms and all of what that may be. And then there's me and a handful of other guys that, you know, are the complete opposite, sort of what you call old school. But the thing is, is, like we're not sitting here going back and forth of, okay, you're wrong, you should be doing this, or they're like, you're wrong, you should be doing that, or vice versa. It, I mean, it's not like that, it's just like, you know, you sort of, okay, so that's what you think whenever you're up there, well, this is what I think. And you're just like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's kind of cool that we can both think different things, but we can also get in the same position whenever we're hitting. And I, I think being able to do that and being able to have the respect for whatever it may be um, is good. It, it, just, it just goes to how everybody's so different and how their minds work and how they try and get their bodies to work or how they try and get into the ultimate hitting position, which is what we all try and get into in the first place.
0: It's really good insight um, for a lot of different reasons. I want to go back to something that that you said before that I just I think it would be worth talking about. You talked about just being inside the ball, working inside the ball. That's that's a a feel that you've really worked on this off season. Why is that a skill that you want? Like, what is that? What does that ultimately do for you? If you were explaining to, just say you, you. I know you worked recently with kind of a with a group of younger guys. If you're trying to explain that to like a 12 year old, 13 year old who's a good hitter. You know, a good hitter that you think has a chance to be a college hitter when he's older. How would you explain to that hitter, like, why why is it a skill that you want to acquire to be able to stay inside the ball and get your barrel to almost any pitch and be able to hit a ball into the opposite gap? Like, why is that something that's so important? Um, I sort of – figured to this
1: point now that, you know, if my hands are inside the baseball and are inside baseball at any point – Wherever it is a strike that I'm not, I can't be beat. That's my mindset. Is that if I get my hands inside wherever that pitch is, then I can't be beat. If I'm out in front, yeah, I, I might be beat. If I just completely am on my front side, then yeah, there's obviously a lot of different factors. But if I get my body into the right position and I get into my right hitting position that I know, and I can bring my hands and they're working inside the baseball, then I believe that. Have a higher chance of spraying the ball or driving the ball I should say wherever I want to on the field wherever that pitch is because if we think about it if if we if we get a fastball inside and our first movement with our hands are out and around we're already beat we got no shot right I mean you throw 95 and you got a guy that's coming out and around you're gonna either pile drive it right into the ground and roll over it or whatever it may be you're going to get jammed, break right a bat or you're just completely whiff and then then you throw a breaking ball into it if your hands start out and around you have to make up for so much of trying to get your hands back in that you're either going to spoon it and foul it off or you're going to swing right over it and so that's just that's just me like having Looked at video. I like looking at video of myself and seeing what I can improve on, or you know, just just knowing and feeling um, certain things from hitting. But I just feel like it puts the hitter in such a good position to be able to be inside the baseball because you know you're going to be able to you're going to be able to be in that zone for so much longer. And that was that was a huge thing with Bo Rob. And you know, I think I said it on Twitter and put it as a hashtag boat paddle that is he preached that and still does preach to this day you can ask anybody that played for him in the past whatever six seven years eight years and guys now i bet you they all say that he says that at least 25 times a day (laughs) and it's awesome it's it sticks with all of us and but if you think about it it's like that's what you want to have you want to be in the zone as long as possible right and i think one of the few ways that you are going to be able to do that is keeping your hands inside the baseball and be able to uh, stay to the middle of the field.
0: I I just um, again I it's awesome to hear a guy that's had such success at at high levels and to hear what you're thinking about you know the approaches that you want to take. What about your daily routine, Zach? What does that look like? Can you give uh, give us an idea? And, and I don't know if you want to talk about what you're doing now in the off season or maybe during the season, whatever you think is more important, or, or both. But I, I'm interested to hear what your daily routine is and um, and just how you landed on this as a routine. Um, like in the cage work? Yeah, yeah, with just, I guess, either cage work in the – well, everything you're doing in the offseason, like a typical day in the offseason, or in the in-season, like what a typical day is just to kind of prepare for a game.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, all season a little different. Um, I, you know, I, I try and get in the gym probably I'm a little different. I like working out a lot. So I like to get in the gym about five, six times a week, um, do weights, heavy weights, like four times. But, you know, I, I work with a uh, shrink guy that I had at Charlotte my senior year, I guess, in the junior year and senior year. And I stay in contact with him and he helps me out and is a huge help. coach Patrick. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I do that. And then, you know, I, usually in the off season, I'll take, I guess, in a regular off season after the season's finished in September, I'll take a couple months to where I'm just not doing much, but working out and, you know, doing low conditioning just, um, and even then a lot of it is, you know, keeping my body just towards in good shape and I'm stretching or just doing a lot of body weight stuff and not, not putting too much stress on it. Um, but then once I start getting back into hitting, you know, I, I'd sort of try and take it slow, um, get a feel for it because, as you know, if you take a couple months off and you start swinging, it feels like you've never swung a bat in your life. And um, so I was getting into that. But um, for the most part, you know, my tee routine, which I love to do every day, um, you know, I, I'll warm up with probably a heavier bat and just – get loose and swing and hit the ball just like try and like visualize hitting the line driver or ground ball to second base um, and then I'll do that and then I like to do top hand and bottom hand drills with a short bat um, which works and you know just finding my rhythm with that and taking nice easy swings and then um, I'll sort of just move the tee around a little bit um, you know i start with it at the very top of the zone or as high as tee can go just to work on that feeling like I can get Really above that pitch um, and just simulating that and really working my hands inside. Uh, and then I usually get in the front pulse um, and just taking an easy swings after my tee routine um, and then working on being able to drive it to uh, every part of the field. And then we'll have, then I'll try and do BP or machine. But for the most part, in season, you know, I've always been a person that just enjoys being in the cage. I like hitting um i love just getting in there and swinging the bat and working on stuff and um you know i've never thought there can be there's too much swinging or too much work that's just not how i've sort of envisioned it um but you know i I like to just get in there and sort of get loose uh, that's been a big part of i think my success is being able to have that same routine in season um obviously there are some days to where if we have like a 10 30 game and we played or just traveled that night it's you know it's a show and go and you just sort of go with it and those and some some days you find that those might be your best day or you might have your best games um which is fun but yeah so I, I like to try and keep that same tea routine and front toss routine as much as i can um just to sort of stay in a rhythm uh and uh you know there'll it, be some stuff that some days where i'll just do T or some days where I'll just do front toss you know sort of just try and fill it out the 140 games doing the same stuff can sort of get a little monotonous but uh, you do what you can to switch it up every now and then
0: for guys Zach that don't love the T I mean there are even guys that, that on and I I feel like I'm constantly bringing up social media here but that's like my window into the baseball world at this point other than these yeah. podcasts and, and my friends and it's kind of like your view of like what everybody else is thinking about things there are guys that just kind of mock the tea, I think sometimes, and Definitely. you know, uh, why? What do you get out of tea work? Why is that something that you incorporate daily? Yeah, you know, that's something that
1: I've just noticed more recently that the tea is not used as much, or it's like you said, mocked a little bit. And you know, I mean, I can. They they say I think I've heard they say that it's because you're never hitting a still ball, a ball that's sitting still. And, yet that's true, obviously. But, you know, it's just a feel thing, you know. I, I, I don't really know what more to say than, you know, just saying I want to get a feel for – I mean, you can move the tee around wherever you want. Yeah, it's sitting there, but, you know, you've also got to hit a pitch in that location. And for me, it's just getting a feel of where my body has to be or how my body has to react to where that pitch location is, if that makes sense. Like I can go from, like I said, starting with a high tee to where I really got to get my hands above and really got to work my hands and knob inside the baseball. And the next thing you know, I can put it down, once I'm further in my new routine, I can put it down to where it's the bottom of the zone or even more below the zone to where you see sliders most of the time. And, you know, okay, let me see how I'm supposed to get to this. How's my body supposed to get to this? Or how am I supposed to feel to be able to drive this baseball? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's not easy to just say, oh, well, if it's a ball or if it's not in the zone, then you just shouldn't swing at it. Well, I can guarantee you that most baseball players are going to tell you that, you know, sometimes the swing just felt involuntary. Like, you were just like, why did I just swing at that? I didn't even want to. But it just happened. And... and That just that's just how it is and um you know so it's just it's just a comfortability thing for me I I think and a lot of guys that I know and talk to now is that it's just a way to get loose you know you you don't want to it's good to go go into competition stuff or getting front toss or going straight into throwing overhand or what it may be but you know it's just nice to be able to get loose, hit some line drives off a tee, and, you know, I think, for me, that's just something that i felt can help my swing out. You know, I, it can help me feel of where I'm supposed to be on each pitch.
0: And, and that's another thing that I, I want to ask, and I'm, I'll, I'll wrap this up soon, I promise. I won't keep you on here. Oh, no, you're good. Through dinner good. time, but um, I, I'm anxious to hear about your uh, – your perspective of this too. You did brought this up a few minutes ago just about how often you're in the weight room. Now you're a bigger guy, listed at six four two twenty. I don't know how how accurate that is today, but that's what you're listed at. Um, is that what what is your what is your off season weight program look like compared to your in season weight program? As far as, you know, maybe uh, you you mentioned that like right after the season you'll kind of get into just some body weight stuff not like trying to tax your body too much but but when you really kind of get um you know get serious about it in the off season and then maybe in season I'm more probably more interested in season but want to want to hear kind of both and just because the weight room is something that a lot of uh you know a lot of baseball people don't agree on uh but I'm anxious to hear what you think and especially what you do in season. You know, how, how intense are the workouts? Do they change? How often are you in the weight room during the season? Because 140-game season is, is a, long, it's, it's long, it's a lot. It's more games than most kids play. But now I think because of travel baseball, oh, yeah. guys might not play as many games, but guys are playing from high school season in March or, or, you know, practicing before that, but they're starting games in February, March, and they're playing all the way till. I mean, do they ever stop? I mean, it seems like a lot of guys maybe all year round. But they're, they're playing fall tournaments through like August, September, even October. Like, there's yeah. a lot of games in that, and that's a long time. You've you've got to obviously do some lifting during that time. So, would you mind just talking about your your routine um, off season, during season, and maybe just how your lifting programs change in and out of season?
1: Yeah. Um. So you know, like every off season I go into, I sort of have a goal of what I want to do. Um, you know, with this year I you know, I sort of wanted to, you know, clean up my body a little bit. I wasn't like anywhere crazy to where I thought I was out of shape or anything, but you know, we just didn't have anything to do, so it was a way of me challenging myself. So I actually lost like ten to thirteen pounds and I'm at like two ten right now just from working out and everything and you know, really cleaned up like eating and just habits like that, which has been huge and has played a huge factor in everything. Um, but yeah, you know, I, the plan that Coach Patrick has had me on the past couple of years has been incredible because we've set it up to where, like I mentioned and you mentioned it too, of you know, taking it sort of light the first couple, I guess it was the first month. We go through about, I think we get through about five or six phases um, before I go off to spring training again. And you know each one's just built up. You know you're not just jumping into it, and um, you know you're not just jumping into going big weight or whatnot. But you sort of you sort of gradually get into it. And um, he's gotten it set up to where I've become really comfortable with. You know we're going to do speed stuff with our lifting of how fast we can move the weight, um, and then next thing you know, the next month we're going to do okay heavy weight, low rep. Um, and just really pushing that and building that strength. And then we'll go speed again, and then we'll go heavy, and then sort of light to finish off um, right before uh, spring training so I can go in feeling good, feeling loose. I'm not like my legs are heavy or anything. Um, so that, that's that been great because I felt like I've gotten into a really good routine of how I feel going into spring training, and I feel fresh. And, you know, I've even felt really fresh at the end of the year, which goes into my end in of the season lifting and it's like i mentioned earlier i really love being in the gym um it's just something that i feel like helps me get loose during the day um before a game you know i mean most of the time we're just sitting around the hotel or house or wherever we're staying um during the season and you know we don't go to the field until 2 30, 3 o'clock so what have we really been doing so usually i mean i would either get a lift in that morning, Or, you know, if we're home, I'll go to the field a couple hours earlier than we're supposed to be there and, you know, just sort of get loose and do stuff. I move my body around because I just felt like if I was sitting around and doing that, then, you know, I wasn't really preparing myself for the game that day. So I usually like to try and get three or four workouts in during the year early on. Then I'll sort of tailor it down to maybe three midway through and then two. Um, I mean, I don't – for the most part, I don't look to lifting heavy in the season, but I do have days where that is. Like if we have an off day um, the next day, so we play on a Tuesday, we have an off day on a Wednesday, I'll lift heavy on a Tuesday. So I can really just feel that and get that and have that, and then I'll have the whole next day to recover – and rest, and then I'll be fresh for Thursday. You know, so it's just going about that. And you know, we have great strength um, conditioning guys with our uh, with the Orioles program, to where you know they listen to you, they they talk to you, they want to know what you're feeling and um, what's going to work for you. And you know, there's a lot of guys that don't lift very often. I mean, I know plenty of guys that just they don't want to do that to their body while they're also playing. You know, and that, that it's just it's just a personal preference for people. Um, and I think that just goes along with you know being being a pro is knowing what works for you um, and I feel that you know being in the gym and working on my body as well in that aspect and staying stretched or staying loose um, is also going to help me give an edge or get an edge for uh, game day uh, whenever I go out there and just makes me feel
0: better. It seems like the more guys get it when they're on this podcast the more you kind of hear like, know this might work for one guy but it's not going to work for another guy because again it's not just that's not uh the narrative that you hear in most cases and you think about the weight room um it's you know it's pretty easy to look at some guys and say like hey man what's holding you back is that you're not strong enough like you got to get in the weight room but for other guys maybe they just don't feel like you know for whatever reason they're they're going to be at their best if they spend too much time in there or if they have some soreness like it's not that's not something that they want um and it's, just, it's cool to me to hear that guys that you play next to, not all of them feel the same way. Like, they're not all in the weight room as much as you are. Um Man. And that's, that's just a, an interesting dynamic to me that I think just does people good to hear. Um, last question I've got for you, Zach, is just what you think your path is to the major leagues. Um, what boxes do you feel like you need to check? What do you feel like you need to get better at? What areas of your game need to improve in your mind for you to, you know, get that call, put on the big league uniform, and have a chance to play at the highest level?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think this is this is a fault that came up a lot um, this year with everything going on. You know, I, you know, I had a lot, of, a lot of time to sit around and think about it. Um, you know, if every if every player doesn't sit and tell you if their ass – can you be in the big leagues, or do you see yourself in the big leagues? Yes, and with without a hesitation, then you know they're already defeating themselves. Because if you, for one, if you don't believe in yourself, then nobody else is going to believe in you. You got to you got to know yourself that that's where you belong, and and that's sort of that's sort of how I feel. You know, I feel like I put myself in a good position with my work ethic, with my attitude, um, you know, how how I play the game and whatnot. But yeah, it, it comes down to. Being able to um, prove it at, at each level that I'm given the chance to prove it at, and I think that I think that comes down to you gotta look at stats. I mean, it's such a home run heavy game now, and um, being a bigger dude, um, you know, I have to I have to provide that. I have to be able to drive in runs. Um, you know, I have to be able to keep up speed wise in the outfield. You know, there there's guys that are smaller than me that can cover ground, but you know, I'm gonna cover ground too. I've got to be able to hold my own out there. And, um, you know, I don't want to say that defense can be looked past, but, you know, you've got to be able to perform out in the outfield too. Yeah, you've got to be able to swing it once you get in the box, and that, that is what's going to ultimately get you there because you're going to provide runs and opportunities to score runs for the team. But, you know, you've also got to be able to do it defensively, and I think I'm in a good position with that. Um, but, you know, just a thing for me is just consistency, and I think that that's something that I preach to myself each year is um, get better with it, you know, minimize those slumps, you know, don't everybody's going to go through them. there's going to be rough patches. There's going to be stuff like that. But it, it, if I can go and, you know, not start searching for something or start asking questions, of, OK, why am I going through this slump? I got to change something. If I stay convicted to myself as a hitter, you know, I believe I believe I'm going to be in the best position to put to be able to uh, play in the big leagues at some point. Um, because i think that my work and uh, everything that i've done up to this point um has put me in that position and i just you know it's just it just comes down to proving it um, whenever i get the opportunity uh, so it's it just you know just being able to um, being able to do whatever i can to help the team win because at the end of the day you know that's that's what it's about to me i, I love winning it's it's never fun to be losing you know you can be you can be best player on the team and have an unreal year but you know you lose every game and you know I' just always enjoyed you know trying to do what I can to uh, win and uh, help out the team in whatever aspect that may be um, whether that's hitting home runs playing great defense stealing bases whatever it may be so I this year I really want to try and show every tool that I have in my game and be able to Showcase that you know I have all of them. I can do just about um, everything there is. Um, so I'm am looking forward to uh, getting back to this year and sort of showing the work that I've been doing um, since we didn't have a season last year.
0: This is great. This has been really, really great stuff. This is Zach Jarrett, everybody. He's a minor league outfielder uh, in the Baltimore Orioles organization. And Zach, this has been extremely enjoyable for me. uh Bo Rob was was not lying when he said you were going to be a great guest on this podcast. Uh, clearly somebody just from this conversation that, um, just a, a mature guy in the game and clearly a student of the game, very cerebral, very confident, well-spoken, and ready for big league interviews, man. And if you don't mind me saying so, I <laughs> I looked, uh, looked you up the first time uh, when we started talking and I, I couldn't help but notice that you're an Evan Longoria look-alike, a little bit of a, a younger <laughs> Evan before the beard came along. I don't know if you've heard that before, but... I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Take that as a compliment. But, Zach, this has yeah. been really, really enjoyable. I'm very, very appreciative of your time as you head into this season and want to wish you all the best. Oh,
1: thank you very much, uh, Jeff. I was I was glad we were able to link up and make this happen. Uh, I heard great things from Eddie and Bo about you and uh, was excited to do it. I was just glad we were able to talk some baseball for a little bit. All
0: right, Zach, that's it. Uh, record is...